0: Yeah, sort of the lessons learned. So one thing I I certainly take away for myself and I keep uh, sharing with others and that's something that all all these women have said that it's very, very important to be authentic and to be really, truly yourself and not try to bend over backwards to be somebody that you're not. Um, it, It shows. And so I think, you know, we don't have to accept the status quo, but we're really here now with all the very... Various uh, associations and organizations from Brussels Binder to WISE to...
1: Happy New Year, everyone. And welcome to a new episode of the Binder Talkback, a podcast brought to you by the Brussels Binder, where we chat with changemakers and people we admire about all things gender. My name is Scarlett Varga. I'm your host and co-founder of the Brussels Binder. And my
2: name is Anna with one N and I'm the co-chair of the Communications Working Group at the Brussels Binder. This is a very special episode. We're chatting with our very own Corinna Hurst, co-founder and first president of the Brussels Binder. She's a real civil society leader, having spent more than 20 years in the think tank sector and always with an eye on inclusion and gender equality. She's also the former president of Women in International Security in Brussels, and she has co-authored the book, Women Leading the Way in Brussels, together with Claudia de Castro Calderinha.
1: Corinna, welcome
2: to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Corinna, it is a real pleasure to have you on. So welcome from me as well. Now is the seventh episode, actually, of this podcast of ours. Um, As you know, I have had the pleasure to know you for quite a few years now, Uh, I believe soon to be eight, out of which uh, seven since the first uh, brown bag brainstorming launches of The Binder. Uh, you have always been an inspiration, um, mentor and a kind voice of wisdom to all of us. We have been discussing this at length between us, but um, I'm sure our listeners would like to know what were the, let's say, three most important lessons you have learned along the way while turning the BB into a landmark in Brussels?
0: Well, I think the first I want to say is definitely this realization you can't do it alone. Um, I really was looking for like-minded people, for some support, for solidarity to get something going. And I know I have the title president of the Brussels binder, but I truly believe this was a team effort. And the only thing that I might have done in the beginning is I convened women who are working in the think tank sector that I know. And I said, You know, brought them together, and then we were sort of discussing our sort of respective experience working in the think tank sector and the good and the bad. And um, really, out of this, became a larger group. And then at some point, this idea okay, let's start a database of women with policy expertise so we can work against always having these all-male panels or journalists only knowing, only calling their friends that they know for analysis and soundbites. So I might have convened the first group, but everything else was a truly very organic development. Um, and, you know, the, the the other thing is is perhaps that, you know, I had sort of an idea or I was dissatisfied with how things were, but then it was also very much about listening um, checking in with other women, how they felt and what they thought was needed to get change.
2: So the next question is a bit of a downer, but I promise it's going to end in a <laughs> on a positive note. Um, so 2021 was a challenging year for many, but specifically the pandemic has aggravated existing inequalities between women and men in almost all areas of life, both in Europe and beyond. Uh, Some say rolling back on the hard-won achievements of past years. So that being said, looking back at the second year of the pandemic, what do you see as the great achievements of the Brussels Binder? And what were the greatest obstacles you have seen us overcome?
0: I mean, I think like everybody else, you know, we had to adapt to this virtual environment. And um, I think I speak for a lot of us that, you know, we miss not no longer having the opportunity to get together in person to brainstorm, to scheme, to plan. Um, So, you know, certainly we're missing that. Um, At the same time, I think we've been really good at adapting to the virtual environment. And it's thanks to, (laughs) you know, people like the two of you or also others that are definitely younger than I am who are much more savvy when it comes to social media and um, other sort of technical developments that we were able to, you know, move our you know, advocacy work or just uh, the work of making women more visible um, online. So I think we've fared fairly well. We, you know, we continue to grow. We continue to... uh, explore partnership relations, whether it's with the private sector or most recently sort of with the um, permanent representations to the EU, you know, having conversations with the Greeks and the Germans to see if they might want to come along and support us more more visibly. So I think it's, you know, it's okay. Um, and in some ways, it's uh, we've achieved the first goal of the Brussels Binder that, that um, all male panels are really unable acceptable I, I think we the Brussels community but then also more largely I think it's uh, yeah almost taken for granted now that uh, one needs to have diversity on panels so that's a good thing
1: yeah that's right and actually I would take the opportunity to mention that we have been uh, working on two important reports um, looking a bit into, how the pandemic has affected women, both when it comes to event participation and uh, their research work, so academic work. And those reports will be uh, soon on our website, so I invite everybody to have a look at them and comment and let us know what what you all think. So, Karina, as mentioned by Anna, in 2017, uh, you have co-authored the book Women Leading the Way in Brussels, which I have a copy of, actually which has received praise by great women leaders uh, uh, such as Kristalina Georgieva and Anne-Marie Slaughter. Is there a silver lining you identified while interviewing all these inspirational women that appear in your book?
0: Well, reflecting on on the book and, um, yeah, sort of the lessons learned. So one thing I I certainly take away for myself and I keep uh, sharing with others and that's something that all these women have said that it's very very important to be authentic mm-hmm. and to be really truly yourself and not try to bend over backwards to be somebody that you're not. Um, it, it shows and so I think you know we don't have to accept the status quo but we're really here now with all the very various uh, associations and organizations from Brussels Binder to WISE to others. We can also challenge sort of the system <laughs> and the, 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 the structures that are in place. Um, what I'm missing about the book and uh, both of you, Scarlett and Anna, you, you know that we've struggled with this a bit in the Brussels Binder as well is um, that the women that we've interviewed are all white. And this is for me sort of the greatest uh, well recognition and humble like, you know, experience humbling experience this year is to sort of realize that while we were trying to do something new with the Brussels binder, also with the book in some ways, um, the fact that we've only re- focused on white middle class educated women, who you know were privileged enough to have sort of support uh, through families and all. Um, we continued to portray an image that we're actually trying to change. So it's sort of the biggest challenge: how we can make Brussels truly inclusive, that also women who come, well, women or representatives of other marginalized groups can truly feel they're being. Seen um, in Brussels, so that's sort of the next big step. I think we are all challenged by.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if if I may have a follow-up question on that, really quick one. Um, why do you think that happened? Was it just easier to reach out to white women? Um, is it is it just you know the supply different in Europe? Could could we draw the conclusion that you know Europe also has to do better on this uh, as such?
0: I think they're comp- a combination of things. I mean, it's kind of funny to think of women as being part of the supply chain. Um, <laughs> it's uh, th- There's definitely a, a pipeline issue in the sense that uh, the EU member states um, do not send very diverse people to Brussels, sort of <laughs> whether they work in the institutions or in their diplomatic representations. So that's one, and it points to... Uh, you know, an issue that it's not just us in Brussels trying to sort of fix something, but it needs to happen back in the member states. And it has to happen early childhood, families, schools, universities. So that's one part. Um, But then, you know, you, Anna, myself and the others, we are all products of a particular time period and a generation and our own countries. So, you know, it's, it's a... Slow process. I mean, it, if we want to change something, um, it it takes time and patience. Is definitely something sort of we all need it. And you know, it's 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 a conversation I've had with some members of our volunteer groups who you know really call themselves sort of feminists and they're advocates and you know they really want to be out there and uh, fighting for change. And I really admire them. And I've also f- felt myself struggling at times, you know, how can we and I include the Brussels binder here largely, but how can we ask for change and without necessarily antagonizing the other people and leading to the fact that, um, you know, when we appear too pushy, it actually might hurt our end goal that mm-hmm. you know we want to break up uh, the status quo, we want to change structures, we want to change institutions. And it doesn't help, I think, if we antagonize or make even people angry, um, but we need to take them along on this journey. And um, so, again, you know, it takes time and for some it doesn't go fast enough. So it's, it's a decision. Um, the next generation sort of has to, yeah, I guess, sort of decide which way they want to go.
2: So for those of you who have not been following rigorously our Twitter account, I regret to inform you that Corinna will be soon passing the baton to a new president of the Brussels binder. Corinna, how do you see the Brussels binder evolving in the next years to come? And what do you see as new milestones and next priorities for the Brussels binder team of volunteers?
0: Well, I always said I was hoping that the Brussels binder no longer exists in 10 years because by then <laughs> it's so normal that uh, when events organizers uh, are looking for panelists, that they will look for diverse people because they pay attention to the type of conversation they want to have, not who sits on the panel. And I also hope that journalists very automatically um, you know, will pick very diverse Provide analysis and quotes um, in the articles. Um, For me, the Brussels Binder is at the moment sort of at the turning point. That on the one side, you know, we are launching into sort of a new strategic uh, review as to where we want to go. And again, I can have my views, but there are others who also count and they need to um, share that. And I hope that will be reflected in the next strategic vision. And um, I guess the two things that I see as sort of very important for the Brussels binder to look upon is for one, the intersectionality. So create the space for women or individuals who come from marginalized communities to also feel part of this endeavor, making women visible in Brussels and in Europe at large. And then the second question is, and that's sort of more an institutional uh, challenge is, you know, does the Brussels binder continue to um, evolve as a, a volunteer-led organization? Or does somebody want to take it to the next level and um, create a small team, uh, a paid staff that can really push um Push some of the the, the issues that uh, the Brussels binder is advocating for. However, what I definitely see as really really important, and I can only <laughs> stress this again and again, is the fact that I'm leaving. I mean, I appreciate you all saying, you know, it's sad that I go. I will <laughs> not leave Brussels, so I'm always available. But I really do feel, you know, I want to I want to f- find choose my own time to go and I I don't want to overstay my welcome and I've seen so many uh, volunteers who come with new skill sets and interest and um, it's amazing and there's so much um, assets and resources inside that group already and I just think it's time for somebody else to lead this now as part of a larger group use really these skill sets and expertise and assets and um, take the Brussels binder to next um, next level. And I don't want to stay in the way, but I now want to cheer from the side and be supportive.
1: <laughs> you will never stay in the way, Corina. And it's true. Anybody, nobody really leaves the binder, right? I mean, everybody who has ever had a specific role Um, stays the ambassador of the binder and can take just a different role um, and even experiment and explore other kinds of um, tasks. Um, Me, myself, I I am a business development professional, but I I work in the communications working group, for example. And, you know, it's always amazing to learn totally new uh, um, ways of working from, from peers. So I think this is also an amazing added value that the binder brings, that it gives it it very practically contributes um, to our professional career, although we are all volunteers, um, which is which is not evident all the time, but I think it, we have been doing that very efficiently in the past years. So, Corina, we are approaching the end of our time with you. Uh, it has been a real pleasure having you on this podcast. Uh, as a final word, I was wondering whether you have any kind of so-called New Year's resolution, because this is a New Year's podcast. Um, especially I know that you have a new job now and you are really working on on leadership, working with, you know, young, young people. I don't know if you have anything to share with us.
0: <laughs> well, I don't have a New Year's resolution, um, but I'm, as I mentioned in sort of other contexts, I'm a really an international relations junkie. I just love <laughs> to sort of explore and learn about what is going on in the world and in some ways, thanks to the Russell's binder, where I learned so many skills that, among others, just sort of the networking and building communities of uh, you know, interesting people as I now have my dream job in a sense that I can be active and engaged in international affairs, but I do this through people um, by you know my organization offering fellowship experiences. And so I have the privilege of getting to know lots of um, very, very interesting people from also parts of the U.S. as well as Europe. And um, it's through people that we manage to move things and change things. And the Brussels Binder is a very similar beast of project, <laughs> if you want to call it. And, um, and of course, I will remain... Involved and always um, advocate for the goals and the mission of the Brussels Binder.
2: Thank you, Corinna. That's all the time we have for today. So, thank you very much for joining us. And to our listeners, if you would like to get a head start on your New Year's resolutions for gender equality, because I assume everybody does, uh, we can help. So, you can volunteer with us, sign up, or spread the word and uh, help us change public discourse and making manuals obsolete. You can find more info via BrusselsBinder.org.
1: Thank you for joining us.